Thank you, Laura Lee. Take your Bibles this evening and turn to Job, chapter 23, if you would. The book of Job, chapter 23, in your Bibles. Job, chapter 23. I think all of us have wondered at times why why believers suffer. Um, Maybe you have gone through suffering or affliction yourself, and maybe you found yourself wondering, I've sought to obey the Lord, I've sought to be faithful. Why would God allow me to suffer? Why do other believers suffer? Many of us in this room know people who are presently going through affliction. It is always especially hard to watch a loved one suffer. But in the book of Job, we're reminded that God has a purpose. He has a purpose for allowing trials into the lives of the people that he treasures. Into the lives of the people that he loves. He has a purpose for allowing trials into the lives of people that he sent his son to die to save. If our lives were always easy, if everything were easy and smooth, we would not grow, we would never grow as much in our faith as when we go through a trial. And learning to trust God through our trials leads to wonderful, wonderful victory. And and nowhere else that I'm aware of in the Bible is that seen as clearly as in the book of Job. In the beginning of the book of Job, you find Job's life is the dream of everyone. He's the richest man in that part of the world, very possibly the richest man in all of the world. He's got many children. He has much wealth. I would guess that he had many friends, that he would have been popular. In other words, when Job walked down the street in that part of the world, everyone would have known who he was. And you remember Satan comes to God, and God proposes to Satan, have you considered my servant? And then God allows Satan to take everything but his wife away. And at the end of the book, we find that Job has passed the test, and yet he has humbled himself in the test, and God calls him three times in two verses. God calls him my servant. And you see, God ser- or excuse me, Job served God in suffering. That's what God called Job to do. 
God calls some people to preach his word. God leads other people to sing. He leads all of us to be faithful, to be disciplined in our walk with the Lord. But sometimes God calls his people to suffer. And I want to think, and I want to ponder tonight, and I want to look at Job's life. We're not going to just be in one text. We're going to look at the entire book. I'm not going to preach through it, in case you're wondering. But by earthly standards, Job was a good man. And so God pointed him out to Satan as someone special. And I want to look this evening at how and why the severest trials that any one of us could ever imagine came to this man, Job. And how after a period of suffering and questioning, and Job did that, he didn't understand why. I think Job struggled with it. If you read through the book, he struggles with it. But eventually, Job came to the point where he humbled himself, and God exalted him, and he honored Job. Let's look at our text here, beginning in Job chapter 23. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Job 23, beginning in verse 1. I'll read down through verse 12. Job 23, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. Ever felt like complaining? Have you ever felt bitter? He says, My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Have you ever been there? Where you want to lay out the arguments for all the reasons why this should not be happening? I would know the words which he would answer me. In other words, Job is saying, I didn't have the answers to my questions, and and I would understand what he would say unto me. Sometimes God speaks to us, and there are times where it's as if we can't comprehend what he's saying. Verse 6, will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Sometimes we feel we don't have the strength to go through. Verse 7, there the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward and he is not there. He's talking about God. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. You get an idea of Job's frustration. Everywhere I look, I can't find God in this But he knoweth the way that I take. In other words, he knows the path I'm on. And when he hath tried me, when he's tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. This is very important if you're going through a trial. My foot hath held his steps. His ways 
have I kept and not declined? When you and I go through a trial, it's very important to keep putting our feet one foot in front of the other in the way that we know to be right. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word tonight in our hearts, in our ears. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we in our flesh really would like it if our lives were completely smooth without any speed bumps or potholes, sharp turns, steep climbs. Lord, our flesh really would like it if we could just go through life and everything was easy. Lord, we know that is not your way. Father, you long to bring us forth as gold. And so you bring trials into our lives. Father, I pray that you'd meet needs in this room tonight. Help us to understand that everything that happens, you are involved with, you have allowed, and you want to use to bring yourself glory and to help us to fear you more than we do honor you, and worship you as we ought. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand this truth. Bring us to maturity, I pray. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, the latter part says, For he maketh his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and on the good. Isn't that true? Every day the sun comes up, shines on the evil, those who are going to do evil, and those who do good. We all benefit from it. He goes on to say, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. I can remember as a child wondering, you know, I mean, God could just cause everyone who's evil just to perish, you know, just take them out. Then I wouldn't be here because he had to take me out. And we know this to be true, but in our hearts we tend to think that if we're doing what is right, everything should go right. Or at least it, will, it, it ought to be right. If it's not going to get out, it somehow come out right and, and easier for us. And while a life without trials is appealing, and it is to all of us, it's not a biblical thought. A life without trials is not a biblical thought. God never in his word promises that everything is going to go well that everything's going to be easy. He does promise his unfailing grace to you and to me as we humble ourselves and go through the trial one step at a time. Alfred Edersheim wrote, quote, We cannot understand the meaning of many trials. God doesn't explain them all. To explain a trial would be to destroy the object of the trial, which is simple faith and implicit obedience. When going through a trial, God wants to grow our faith, our confidence in him, our taking him at his word when it doesn't make sense. And he wants us to obey him going through the trial. I've told you over and over again, faith is taking God at his word. And when we take God at his word, we're obeying him. That's what he wants. There's much we can learn from Job, and so let's take a glimpse this evening at it. There are three thoughts I'll give you. The first is... Job's character. 
I want to take a, a snapshot look at Job's character and really God's testimony. So look all the way back to chapter 1 of Job, chapter 1. I want you to be reminded, and you might be very familiar with Job and this book, and maybe there are some of you who have never heard about Job before. But I can't help but be reminded of Job's character. And really what we find in the first few verses here of the book of Job in chapter 1 is God giving a testimony of Job, or, or God testifying of Job's character. You know, we could, in this room... Uh, we could uh, have a couple come to the platform and we could say, hey, tell me about your wife. And uh, we're not going to do this, okay? But we could, you know, and a husband knows his wife pretty well or a wife knows her husband very well. We could give, as parents, give testimony to the whole congregation about our children. Maybe we should do that. No, we won't do that either. But as parents, we know our children very well, and parents and children know their parents very well. <laughs> very well. Well, God knows you very well. He knows all about you. He knows all about me, and God knew all about Job. And so he talks about Job's character. He gives testimony. God gives testimony of Job. What is a testimony? Well, te- a testimony is... Is, is what is said about you. It's, it's how people know you, what they know of you. Testimony is different from evidence. Testimony is a de- declaration uh, by somebody who has witnessed your behavior. And evidence is the effect of what has been declared. What was Job's testimony? What was it that could be said of Job? It's been said... A man should live his life in such a way that the pastor can tell the, tell the truth when he preaches his funeral. We know what Job was like because of what God tells us about Job's life. Look at verse number one. I'll read the entire verse. He says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect, means mature and upright, that is righteous, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That was Job's reputation. I think, undoubtedly, that's what other people, they might not have used the same words, but Job was a respectable man. It's one thing for us to be a respectable man, a man on this earth, and for other people to think well of us, It's another thing for God who sees everything that we've ever done and ever thought and where we are right here tonight and to look at our hearts like he did Job's heart and describe us like this. Job was a perfect and an upright man. The word perfect means complete in his dedication to God. Job was completely dedicated to God. We've sung to him, where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him all the way. And that, we, we ended our service this morning with that hymn. And it starts out, I think, in the garden. It goes to the judgment. In the garden, nobody stayed awake and prayed with Jesus Christ. He was alone. In the judgment, his Ill- that illegal trial that took place that night, they sat there and scoffed and in their hearts ridiculed and mocked him and scorned him. And he was alone. Job was perfect and upright. 
He was complete in his dedication to God. And when I think about what Jesus Christ went through, he was, he was dedicated to his Father's will. How many times in our lives are we tempted not to be dedicated to our Father's will? Job was a man who was complete in his dedication to God. He was upright, the Bible says. God says, in his integrity, his practical righteousness, his day-to-day business dealings. In other words, Job was an honest man when he was selling sheep or he was buying. He wasn't going to take advantage of somebody else, whether they knew it or not. He was an upright, righteous man as a businessman. Job was literally living a life that was based on righteous decisions, doing what was right. Decisions that were not simply upright before the world, but decisions that were upright before God. That's a higher standard. There are certain things that have have become acceptable in our culture, and there would have been certain things in Job's day that would have been acceptable in that culture of that day that would not have been righteous and acceptable before before God. But Job lived on a different plane, the, the plane that you and I ought to live on. You and I are indwelt by the Spirit of God. In Job's day, the Spirit of God would have come upon Job, but he would have not been indwelt like you and I. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right till the stars fall. Do right. Don't ever stop. Job was perfect and an upright man. He was also a man, you look there in the middle of verse number one, Job feared God. He feared God. Job had a holy reverence for God. Throughout the book of Job, Job clearly states that God is the creator of the universe. He acknowledged that. And that was something that Job had to wrestle with to some degree because ultimately he was looking around and nothing made sense. He's losing everything. Nothing makes sense. And he had to come and reconcile some things. He had trusted God throughout his life. And now he was having to determine whether or not he was going to continue to trust God even when he lost everything. He had trusted God when he had everything. And now he's having to decide, am I willing to trust God if he takes everything from me? And from Job's perspective, as we read about it, he might well have thought he was going to die too, the way things were going. And he clearly stated over and over again, God, you're the creator of the universe, and God, you have all power, and God, you can be trusted. And we know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, look to him, and he shall direct thy path. Throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord is always viewed as a profound virtue. And it's often virtually synonymous with faith. In fact, I'd say that it's impossible to have faith without fearing God, and you might say it's impossible to fear God without having faith. They go together. Job feared God, and God was pleased with Job. In Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter 9 of Proverbs, in verse 10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 16 and verse 6, the Bible says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Why is it that men, why is it that our culture, our society, why is it that church members, why is it that born-again believers, professing believers, 
Uh, why is it that we fall into sin? Why is it that we find ourselves sometimes growing content in our culture, in our society? And the answer is because we do not have a healthy fear of God. We do not walk by faith. We are walking by sight, which is not walking at all, really. Look over with me, if you would, in, in Job to chapter 28 and verse 28. Job chapter 28 and verse 28, because Job actually refers to the fear of God. Job chapter 28 and verse 28. And in, in, in this verse, we find what the fear of God is. In fact, if you were to look and study the fear of God, you will find that Scripture actually defines what it is for us. And here we find one of those definitions. Proverbs 28 and verse, or excuse me, Job 28 and verse 28 says this, And unto man he said, Behold, look and see. In other words, don't miss this. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Remember, Solomon prayed for wisdom. We're instructed to pray for wisdom in James chapter 1. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Let him ask in faith. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. You can't have wisdom from above without fearing God, without taking God at his word. And to depart from evil is understanding. A young man or a young lady, maybe an older man, an older lady, persist in evil because they lack understanding. They may have knowledge. They may be able to quote scripture. But in the moment, they're making bad choices because they lack knowledge. They lack understanding. In the remarkable thing, uh, Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I thought that was very true. There have been times in my life where I find myself looking ahead and find myself fearing what may, might happen. Or looking around. Sometimes we look around as we look at situations and fear can overwhelm our hearts and our souls. But you know, I believe that's a true statement. Because when I'm living in the fear of God, that is that I am trusting God. He, I'm trusting what he says in his word. I'm trusting what he is doing in my life. I am trusting God I don't fear anything else around me. I fear God alone. I'm not as concerned about pleasing people. I'm more concerned about pleasing God. I'm not concerned about pleasing my flesh or fulfilling the fleshly desires. I'm concerned about pleasing God, my creator. Job was a man who feared God. To fear the Lord is to respect who he is and what he says and what he does. I'll say that again. To fear the Lord is to respect who he is, what he says, and what he's, what he's doing, what he does. Do you fear him? Look back with me to chapter 1 in Job. Chapter 1. There's a last statement in verse number 1, and that is that Job eschewed evil. This was Job's testimony, and not just something that he said about himself. This is what God Almighty said about Job. What a testimony. Job was a perfect and upright man. He feared God. 
And the Bible says in the end of verse number 1 of Job chapter 1 that Job eschewed evil. Job separated himself from evil. He avoided evil. I dare say if Job was living in our day today, he wouldn't watch a lot of television. He wouldn't watch a lot of movies. He wouldn't partner with some of the things of this day and age. He wouldn't do it because he eschewed evil. He separated himself from it. Job was holy in his living by virtue of the fact that he separated himself from all appearance of evil. And I would say to you and me tonight that it's impossible to be holy in our living without separating ourselves from some things, from all things that are wicked and evil. And you and I need wisdom to determine how to live in this world because that's what the Bible tells us. We, we, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. And Paul talked about that um, you can't avoid everything. You'd have to live on another planet. You'd have to leave. And then we know we'd take our flesh with us. But Job was holy in his living. He, was, he eschewed evil. He lived a virtuous life because he was willing to separate himself from all appearances of evil. Separating from evil, evil is the character of Uh, was the character of Job. It's the character of a godly man. The world wants us to laugh at evil, and it wants us to toy around with evil. We talked about this morning, uh, Paul gave us instruction by the Spirit of God that it's not even to be named among us. We're not even to talk about these things. They're not funny. It's not a joke. We should hate what God hates. And we who follow God will hate evil. In Psalm 97, in verse 10, the psalmist wrote, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 9, he said, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. In 1 John chapter 2, we are exhorted to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And just for information, he continues, the world passeth away, just in case you're going to love it. It's all going to end. All the things that we lust after and long for and crave for and, and sacrifice the eternal for, for the temporal, it's all going away. And the lust is going away, and he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, Job was a man of character, and God testified about Job. And I have to ask us the question tonight, what would God testify about you? What would he testify about me? So I see Job's testimony, but I also see Job's trial. You're still in chapter 1 of Job. We're going to look at a few verses here, but Job's trials, trials reveal the depth of our character. They reveal what we love. Trials really do reveal what we love. And God permitted Satan to put Job through trials in three different areas. And by the way, a trial can't take away God's love. It cannot take away the hope of Scripture. It cannot take away God's goodness or his grace or his mercy The trials cannot take away promises, but trials can take away health. 
And they can take away family. And they can take away finances. And that's what we see in in Job's life. Look at Job's trials. Notice how Job suffered financial trials. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding them, uh, feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse number 16. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to, to tell thee. Verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, that The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. There was a time when Job had want of nothing. This, what the verses I just read, and maybe took me about a minute or two to read, uh, Job basically lost all of his wealth. At one point, a few minutes earlier, he had want of nothing, the richest man on the face of the earth, or at least in that region. In one day, in one day, it was all gone. Between the fire, the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, Job found his financial wealth was completely destroyed. But this was not enough to stop Job from loving God and from serving God and from trusting God. But the story goes on. Look at verse number 18. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now the worst news of all arrives. All of Job's children had been killed by a great windstorm. Once again, only one servant survived to bring him the bad news. It's clear that God allowed Satan to generate a destructive storm. God allowed Satan, an act of the devil, to cause a disaster. God allowed it. God could have stopped it, but he let it happen. Look with me at Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Job chapter 1 and verse 20. I'll read down through verse 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. I've mentioned it before, but worshiping God and the fear of God and faith all go together. A person who does not fear God does not worship God. A person who does not have faith in God, who's not living by faith, does not fear God, does not worship God. They all go together. Look at verse number 21. He says, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Now, We've heard these verses before, and I could just read by them. Are you comprehending what has just happened in a matter of a few minutes? The news that he has received in one day. Three minutes ago, he's doing fine. Everything's fine. He's got all his wealth. His children are off having a good time. Three minutes later, he falls on the ground 
after rending his mantle, he worships God. And he says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job suffered. Look over to chapter 2, chapter 2 in Job, in verse number 7. He suffered financially, he suffered in his family, he suffered physically. Look at Job chapter 2 and verse number 7. I'll read down through verse 13. It says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. The word sore means terrible. Terrible boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, a broken piece of pottery. He goes out and he sits down among the ashes, verse 8 says, and he begins to scrape his boils. Some think, he might have, think that he might have gone out to the local dump area where the beggars and the, and the other re, people who were rejected from society went when they were that sick. Job went out to die is the idea. And then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? I was thinking about that word this afternoon, integrity. You know, a bridge can have integrity. When a a bridge has integrity, it withholds its weight. The bridge down in Florida earlier this year lost its integrity, and it came down, and people died. It didn't have integrity. It structurally was not sound. It gave way under its own weight, that bridge. You and I, and, 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 and Mrs. Job kind of brings this to a head. Job, you've lost your wealth. You've lost your children. And you've fallen down and you're in ashes and sackcloth and you're scraping yourself. You're in terrible pain. You still retain your integrity. And I think she's amazed. Because most people would just collapse under the load. And who could blame them? And I can tell you this from a pastor's perspective. When I watch some of you go through trials and tribulation and affliction... um, I rejoice and I marvel when you retain your integrity, your confidence in God. And sometimes, like Job, where we started in, 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 in what was it, in chapter 28, where we started, uh, sometimes it, it's not that you have all the answers, it's not that you have full understanding of what's taking place and how everything's going to work out and it's all going to be okay. It's not that Job could see God's blessings as he was going through the trial. That's not What's so impressive? It's that he couldn't give an answer as to what in the world was going on. But he still knew that God was good and that God should be trusted and that God should be feared and that God should be worshipped in him alone. That's all he knew. Job suffered tremendously. And she tells him, curse God and die. Curse God and die. Look at verse number 10. But he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. 
And then you could read about how they, he has some friends come to him. But you know, Job suffered physically. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his possessions. Job sits down in ashes. He scrapes the, and pardon me, but the pus and the drainage from his boils covering his entire body. He's been humbled beyond measure. He sits in misery. He's trying to cope with his fate. And I don't blame Mrs. Job that much. She's lost everything her husband has lost. She's lost her wealth and her children are gone. But unlike Job, she's growing bitter. She urges her husband to curse God and die, and it's apparent that Mrs. Job doesn't possess the same level of spiritual maturity that her husband did. I don't blame her for that. I don't know that I have as much spiritual integrity than, as she did. The pain of the boils, the rejection of his wife, must have been unbelievably hard. And yet Job says, should we not receive, we've received good at God's hand, should we not receive evil? How many of you, when it comes to simple things, and, uh, you know, there's, it's like a bad concoction. You come home, you're a little under stress, you're hungry, and let's just say you have a bad backache. A little bit of pain, a little bit of hunger, and a long day. And everybody's like, Dad, maybe you should go take a nap. You know, Job is in immense pain. Physically, emotionally, he's lost all of his children. Economically, he's been wiped out. His wife is attacking him verbally to some degree, saying, just throw in the towel. Do you still, are you still going to trust God in all of this? And he still won't curse God. He suffered major trials. Look at verse number Well, let's go to chapter 42, and we'll look at Job's triumph, his victory, and we'll be done. Job's triumph. We'll go to chapter 42, the very end of Job. Chapter 42. You know, God wants to use trials to teach us. He wants to use trials to mold us. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, where the child that he loves, he chastens many times. And in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, I don't, I, there's two kinds of chastening that Hebrews chapter 12 brings out for us. One kind is an instructional chastening, and another kind is a corrective chastening. God chastens, we can expect him to chasten us, to discipline us, to help us bring us back into obedience with him when we've sinned. We expect that, we, we, all of us think of that kind of chastening, but Hebrews chapter 12 also helps us understand that, that God, as our loving Heavenly Father, puts us, in, puts us in difficult positions, trials, afflictions sometimes, to help us to grow up and mature. Don't you ever do that with your children? Don't you ever put them in a position where you know it's going to be a difficult task? So that they'll look to you and you can say, this is how you do it. Do you ever do that? You ought to. Your Heavenly Father does that for you. He does that for me. And and Hebrews chapter 12 tells us he does it out of love. He does it out of love. It's not loving to to, uh, let a child play video games all the days of his life. 
or to play with teddy bears all the days of his life. No, we need to expose them to different things to help them to grow up. And our Heavenly Father does the same thing for you and for me. And so we see that Job is victorious in all of this. He want, God is wanting to use trials in Job's life, and he's molding Job, and he's drawing Job to himself. And for you and for me, he's making you and me more like Jesus Christ, more selfless, less selfish. Followers of Jesus Christ have to be handcrafted. We're pressed sometimes. We're formed. We're shaped. We're polished. And the process isn't always pleasant, but we can know that God is accomplishing something wonderful in our lives. Is God bending you? Is he shaping you? Is he polishing you? What's your attitude? What's my attitude? Are we thanking God like Paul did? Are we praising God? No, we can't explain why. Are we, or are we complaining about the process? Job was triumphant in the trials because Job learned from the trials. You know, it would be a very sad thing. And, and I'll, I mentioned this a week or two ago, but there have been different times, a couple different times in our marriage where Cindy and I were going through, either I was facing a trial or she was facing a trial. And on one occasion, uh, just a, a couple of years ago, I was the one facing the trial, and, and, and we would pray together about it, and we would seek the word of God together about it, and we were asking God to remove the trial, and finally, you know, our prayer stopped being, God, would you remove the trial? And it began, it, our prayer began to be, God, would you help us to learn what you want us to learn through the trial? And God, would, would you help us to draw closer to you as we go through this trial? And frankly, and not going into any detail, but as we were going through that trial, you know, I wanted to run away from the trial. And some trials, you and I are deceived into thinking that we can run away from. But there are many trials that God brings into our lives. There, we'd run if we could, but there's nowhere to run. There's good, no good explanation. And so what's our attitude as we go through the trial? He was triumphant through the trial because he was willing to learn from the trial. Look at chapter 42 and verse number 1. It says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. God, you're all-powerful. God, you're omniscient. You know all things. Verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew. Job is being humbled. He says, God, you know. And I don't know. And, and God, that's good enough for me. In verse 4, he says, Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare unto, uh, thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Job learned from the trials. God was magnified in the eyes of Job. And Job was minimized in the eyes of Job. One of the saddest things that can happen is when someone goes through a trial but doesn't learn from the trial. When a person hardens their heart or stiffens their neck and will not repent and will not humble. And I'm not necessarily talking about any particular sin. You understand that from the life of Job. This is a man, we already read about his testimony, we read about his character, what God had said about him. 
And yet God wanted to accomplish something greater in the life of Job. Can we not expect that God would want to accomplish something greater in my life or in your life? Job was willing to learn. And God tells us that one of the ways we gain wisdom is through the reproofs of life. Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 6 and verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You see, God allows trials for, her, for his purpose. And a wise man will learn from the reproofs of life. Look with me, if you would, just briefly at verse number 7 and 8. It says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job had. Hey, let's make sure when we talk to those who are going through trials that we speak the right things about God. Verse number 8, Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. In other words, get right with God, and my servant Job shall pray for you. How could Job pray for men who in arrogance had come to give him instruction as God was trying to teach Job. Because Job was willing to forgive them, I can tell you that. And for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Three times in those two verses, God looks at a humbled Job, humbler than he was before, Repentant Job, broken Job. And he says, this man is my servant. He's doing my will. And as I started the message this evening, I mentioned to you, some people are called to preach and some people are called to suffer. And God and his word and Jesus Christ is preached through the life of someone who suffers. Job served God by enduring suffering and not cursing God. He served God by forgiving his friends and praying for them. He learned through his trial. I also noticed, and we'll be done with this, that Job endured. Job's triumph was that he learned from the trials. He grew in the trials. And Job endured. Job endured. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. The Bible says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Have you ever, and, and, and when you're going through an affliction, that's how you feel, isn't it? Like you're a prisoner. And you can't get out. When he prayed, he turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before. They hadn't been around too much lately, it doesn't seem. And did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. The beginning of the book, he only has seven. And 6,000 camels, the beginning of the book, he only has three. And a 1,000 yoke of oxen, the beginning of the book, he only has five. 
And a thousand she-asses, the beginning of the book, he only has 500. He had also seven sons and three daughters. Now that's how many he had at the beginning. Um, I've heard it said, and God only knows, uh, God doubled all of his livestock, but he didn't double his children. And someone once said, well, yes, God did, because the others were with the Lord. And this makes double. And he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapak. And in all the land was no woman, no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And after this lived Job an hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. And so Job died, being old and full of days. You know that God's ways are so much better than our ways. You know, it takes faith, it takes believing in the God of the Bible to say amen to that. And not just to say it, but to believe it in our heart when we're going through a trial. It takes faith. It takes a fear of God, which leads us to worship God for who he really is. Do you agree with it? Job 1, verse 21, Job said, After all had been lost, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Psalm 113, verse 2, the Bible says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And that's what Job did. He praised God's name. In Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 11, the Bible says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. If you're going through a trial, one step in front of the other, you may not be able to explain it all. How you got there, why this is happening, which end is up, or where God is in all of it. And I don't think you have to. What you need to know is that God is God and that he is trustworthy and he is good. You need to fear him and you need to take him at his word one day at a time. And the end result will be better than the beginning. What God will produce in your life and in mine will be something truly valuable to God. And what that looks like, I can't tell you. How that works out in this life, I can't tell you. But it will be precious in the sight of God. In James chapter 5 and verse 11, he said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You need to endure one step in front of the other. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's take our hymnals. And Pastor Scott, I'm going to ask if you'd come and lead us in a hymn as we'll sing and as we close. Hymn number 678, Trusting Jesus. And let's stand together and uh, let's lift our voices and let's, as a church, sing of our faith to the Lord that we can trust him as we go through this life, whether the times be good or whether the times may seem to be bad.